0: Welcome to another installment of Christmas in Quarantine, it's Christmas Past's impromptu miniseries of Indeterminate Length. So stay subscribed for one new episode every single day until things are looking better on the COVID-19 crisis. As always, I hope that you're staying safe and healthy, that you're following all of the common sense guidelines, and that you are treating this situation with the seriousness it deserves and only taking your advice from trained medical professionals. Now today we're picking up where we left off yesterday, where I read you the first half of Charles Dickens's The Story of the Goblins Who Stole the Sexton. It's part of the posthumous papers of the Pickwick Club, also known as the Pickwick Papers, and when we left things off, poor Gabriel Grubb found himself surrounded by some strange otherworldly creatures who seemed to have a plan in mind for him. Let's see how things shake out for our friend Gabriel, and I'll come back at the end to say goodbye. But for now, get yourself nice and cozy because once again, it's story time. As the goblin laughed, the sexton observed for one instant a brilliant illumination within the windows of the church, as if the whole building were lighted up. It disappeared, the organ pealed forth a lively air, and whole troops of goblins. The very counterpart of the first one poured into the churchyard and began playing at leapfrogs with the tombstones, never stopping for an instant to take a breath but overing the highest among them one after the other with the most marvelous dexterity. The first goblin was a most astonishing leaper, and none of the others could come near him. Even in the extremity of his terror, the sexton could not help observing that while his friends were content to leap over the common-sized gravestones, The first one took the family vaults, iron railings, and all, with as much ease as if they had been so many street posts. At last, the game reached to a most exciting pitch. The organ played quicker and quicker, and the goblins leaped faster and faster, coiling themselves up, rolling head over heels upon the ground, and bounding over the tombstones like footballs. The sexton's brain whirled round with the rapidity of the motion he beheld, and his legs reeled beneath him, as the spirits flew before his eyes when the goblin king suddenly darting toward him laid his hand upon his collar and sank with him through the earth. When Gabriel Grubb had had time to fetch his breath, which the rapidity of his descent had for the moment taken away, he found himself in what appeared to be a large cavern, surrounded on all sides by crowds of goblins ugly and grim. In the center of the room, on an elevated seat, was stationed his friend of the churchyard, and close beside him stood Gabriel Grubb himself, without the power of motion. Cold tonight, said the king of the goblins, very cold. A glass of something warm here. At his command, half a dozen officious goblins, with a perpetual smile upon their faces, whom Gabriel Grubb imagined to be courtiers, on that account, hastily disappeared, and presently returned with a goblet of liquid fire which they presented to the king. "'Ah!' said the goblin, whose cheeks and throat were quite transparent as he tossed down the flame. "'This warms one indeed! Bring a bumper of the same for Mr. Grubb!' It was in vain for the unfortunate sexton to protest that he was not in the habit of taking anything warm at night, for one of the goblins held him while the other poured the blazing liquid down his throat, and the whole assembly screeched with laughter as he coughed and choked and wiped away the tears which gushed plentifully from his eyes after swallowing the burning draught. "'And now,' said the king, fantastically poking the taper corner of his sugarloaf hat into the sexton's eye and thereby occasioning him the most exquisite pain, "'and now show the man of misery and gloom a few of the pictures from our own great storehouse.'" As the goblin said this, a thick cloud which obscured the further end of the cavern rolled gradually away and disclosed, apparently at a great distance, a small and scantily furnished but neat and clean apartment. A crowd of little children were gathered round a bright fire, clinging to their mother's gown and gambling round her chair. The mother occasionally rose and drew aside the window curtain as if to look for some expected object. A frugal meal was ready spread upon the table and an elbow chair was placed near the fire. A knock was heard at the door, and the mother opened it, and the children crowded round her and clapped their hands for joy as their father entered. He was wet and weary and shook the snow from his garments as the children crowded round him and, seizing his cloak, hat, stick, and gloves with busy zeal, ran with them from the room. Then he sat down to his meal before the fire. The children climbed about his knee, and the mother sat by his side, and all seemed happiness and comfort. But a change came upon the view, almost imperceptibly. The scene was altered to a small bedroom where the fairest and youngest child lay dying. The roses had fled from his cheeks and the light from his eye, and even as the sexton looked upon him with an interest he had never felt or known before, he died. His young brothers and sisters crowded round his little bed and seized his tiny hand, so cold and heavy. But they shrunk back from its touch and looked with awe on his infant face. For calm and tranquil as it was, and sleeping in rest and peace as the beautiful child seemed to be, they saw that he was dead, and they knew that he was an angel looking down upon and blessing them from a bright and happy heaven. Again the light cloud passed across the picture, and again the subject changed. The father and mother were old and helpless now, and the number of those about them was diminished more than half. But content and cheerfulness sat on every face and beamed in every eye as they crowded round the fireside and told and listened to old stories of earlier and bygone days. Slowly and peacefully the Father sank into the grave, and soon after the sharer of all his cares and troubles followed him to a place of rest and peace. The few who yet survived them knelt by their tomb and watered the green turf which covered it with their tears, then rose and turned away sadly and mournfully, but not with bitter cries or despairing lamentations, for they knew that they should one day meet again. And once more they were mixed with the busy world, and their content and cheerfulness were restored. The clouds settled upon the picture and concealed it from the sexton's view. "'What do you think of that?' said the goblin, turning his face toward Gabriel Grubb. Gabriel murmured out something about it being very pretty, and looked somewhat ashamed as the goblin bent his fiery eyes upon him. "'You, a miserable man,' said the goblin, in a tone of excessive contempt. "'You!' He appeared disposed to add more, but indignation choked his utterance. So he lifted up one of his very pliable legs, and flourishing it above his head a little to ensure his aid, administered a good, sound kick to Gabriel Grubb, immediately after which all the goblins-in-waiting crowded round the wretched sexton and kicked him without mercy. According to the established and invariable custom of courtiers upon earth, who kick whom royalty kicks, and hug whom royalty hugs. Show him some more, said the king of the goblins. At these words the cloud was again dispelled, and a rich and beautiful landscape was disclosed to view. There is just such another to this day within a half mile of the old abbey town. The sun shone out from the clear blue sky, the water sparkled beneath his rays, and the trees looked greener and the flowers more gay beneath his cheering influence. The water rippled on with a pleasant sound. The trees rustled in the light wind that murmured among their leaves. The birds sang upon the boughs, and the lark caroled on high, her welcome to the morning. Yes, it was morning, the bright, balmy morning of summer. The minutest leaf, the smallest blade of grass, was instinct with life. The ant crept forth to her daily toil, the butterfly fluttered and basked in the warm rays of the sun, myriads of insects spread their transparent wings and reveled in their brief but happy existence. Man walked forth, elated with the scene, and all was brightness and splendor. "'You, a miserable man,' said the king of the goblins in a more contemptuous tone than before, and again the king of the goblins gave his leg a flourish. Again it descended upon the shoulders of the sexton, and again the attendant goblins imitated the example of their chief. Many times the cloud went and came, and many a lesson it taught to Gabriel Grubb, who, although his shoulders smarted with pain from the frequent applications of the goblins' feet thereunto, looked on with an interest which nothing could diminish. He saw that men who worked hard and earned their scanty bread with lives of labor were cheerful and happy, and that to the most ignorant, the sweet face of nature was a never-failing source of cheerfulness and joy. He saw those who had been delicately nurtured and tenderly brought up, cheerful under privations and superior to suffering that would have crushed many of a rougher grain, because they bore within their own bosoms the materials of happiness, contentment, and peace. He saw that women, the tenderest and most fragile of all God's creatures, were the oftenest superior to sorrow, adversity, and distress, and he saw that it was because they bore in their own hearts an inexhaustible wellspring of affection and devotedness. Above all, he saw that men like himself, who snarled at the mirth and cheerfulness of others, were the foulest weeds on the fair surface of the earth, and setting all the good of the world against the evil, he came to the conclusion that it was a very decent and respectable sort of world after all. No sooner had he formed it than the cloud which had closed over the last picture seemed to settle on his senses and lull him to repose. One by one, the goblins faded from his sight, and as the last one disappeared, he sank to sleep. The day had broken when Gabriel Grubb awoke and found himself lying at full length on the flat gravestone in the churchyard, with the wicker bottle lying empty by his side, and his coat, spade, and lantern all well whitened by last night's frost scattered on the ground. The stone on which he had seen the first goblin seated stood bolt upright before him, and the grave at which he had worked the night before was not far off. At first he began to doubt the reality of his adventures, but the acute pain in his shoulders when he attempted to arise assured him that the kicking of the goblins was certainly not ideal. He was staggered again by observing no traces of footsteps in the snow on which the goblins had played at leapfrog with the gravestones, but he speedily accounted for this circumstance when he remembered that being spirits, they would leave no visible impression behind them. So Gabriel Grub got to his feet as well as he could for the pain in his back and, brushing the frost off his coat, put it on and turned his face toward the town. But he was an altered man, and he could not bear the thought of returning to a place where his repentance would be scoffed at and his reformation disbelieved. He hesitated for a few moments and then turned away to wander where he might and seek his bread elsewhere. The lantern, the spade, and the wicker bottle were found that day in the churchyard, There were a great many speculations about the sexton's fate at first, but it was speedily determined that he had been carried away by the goblins, and there were not wanting some very credible witnesses who had distinctly seen him whisked through the air, on the back of a chestnut horse blind of one eye, with the hind quarters of a lion and the tail of a bear. At length, all of this was devoutly believed and the new sexton used to exhibit to the curious for a trifling emolument a good-sized piece of the church weathercock which had been accidentally kicked off by the aforementioned horse in his aerial flight and picked up by himself in the churchyard a year or two afterward. Unfortunately, these stories were somewhat disturbed by the unlooked-for reappearance of Gabriel Grubb himself some ten years afterward, a ragged, contented, rheumatic old man. He told his story to the clergyman and also to the mayor, and in course of time it began to be received as a matter of history, in which form it has continued down to this very day. The believers in the weather cocktail, having misplaced their confidence once, were not easily prevailed upon to part with it again. So they looked as wise as they could, shrugged their shoulders, touched their foreheads, and murmured something about Gabriel Grubb having drunk all the Hollands and then fallen asleep on the flat tombstone, and they affected to explain what he was supposed to have witnessed in the Goblin's Cavern by saying that he had seen the world and grown wiser. But this opinion, which is by no means a popular one at any time, gradually died off. And be the matter how it may, as Gabriel Grubb was afflicted with rheumatism to the end of his days, this story has at least one moral, if it teach no better one, and that is that if a man turns sulky and drinks by himself at Christmas time, he may make up his mind to be not a bit the better for it, let the spirits be ever so good, or let them be even as many degrees beyond proof as those which Gabriel Grubb saw in the Goblin's Cavern. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. And again, that story was by special request from a couple of you. Some of you reached out through Facebook and some by email. So you can reach out to me anytime you like with requests or just to say hi, or even to share a message with the